Come on, good morning, church. Man, wasn't God's presence so special in this place? Come on, how many are thankful for our worship team leading us in the presence of God? Well, I'll tell you, it's good to be back. It was good to be in New York. It's good to be home. And uh, for those of you that prayed for us, I want to say thank you. It was such a trip of impartation. In fact, God spoke to Elisa and I um, early on a, a prayer walk one time that uh, the word we heard was impartation. And so we went to New York uh, believing God for impartation, that God was going to impart something in our group that then would get imparted here. And I'm telling you, God showed up and just collided with us as we visited the Brooklyn Tabernacle. It was so special. We got to meet with them, learn from them, and then uh, their Tuesday night prayer gathering. It's pretty awesome to see thousands of people gathered uh, to pray. Um, they called us up at the front, laid hands on us, and it was just a really sweet time. And so I'm believing that what God does as a result of what God did is going to be incredibly special. Would you believe that with me? As we continue to take steps in what it means to become a house of prayer, well, it's hard to believe that we are in the fifth part of this series called Built for War, and we're talking about how to stand strong in the spiritual battle, the unseen world, and uh, I believe God's got a word for us today. And so let's just kind of exhale for a minute, close our eyes, and let's just spend a little bit of time in prayer. Father, we come to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We believe that it's living and active. We believe, God, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. We believe that when we don't just hear it, but we heed it and obey it, it begins to transform us. So we invite you into this place, Holy Spirit. Come on, church, begin to pray that. Invite you into this place. Lord, you're the master teacher, and I'm privileged and humbled to be your vessel today. God, I believe with all my heart that if we hear from me, we might be encouraged, but if we hear from you, we'll be changed. So God, would you come and change us, speak to us, Make us more into the likeness of Christ, that what results is the fruit of Christ, that, Father, you would receive all the honor and all the glory because it's due your name alone. So thank you for those that are in the room. Thank you for those that are joining us online. God, we humbly submit ourselves to you with great expectation that you'll speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, and one more time, give Jesus as you give him a big amen. Come on, church. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, it's hard to believe we're already five weeks in to this series. It's been a powerful series for anybody. Come on, I believe that God has really been speaking to us, and we're talking about how do we stand strong or how do we stand firm in the spiritual battle. Uh, maybe you're new to following Jesus. Uh, maybe you're new to vertical. Uh, maybe you're here and you're not quite sure what you believe about Jesus just yet, I want you to know I'm glad that you're here. But the Bible tells us that there is this spiritual war that's happening at every moment of every day of our lives. And God actually wants to train us so that we can stand in victory. Now, here's the good news. This battle is not to determine the outcome of whether or not God wins. Uh, God already won through Jesus 2,000 years ago. And so we said it the first week, and we continue to remind you of it, is that in this battle, we fight from victory, not for victory. Amen? 
We stand in the victory, but there's some things that God wants to do to train us in his scripture so that we can stand firm. I love what David said in Psalm 144, verse 1. It says, blessed be the Lord, my rock. Notice this, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. David understood that there were some things that God needed to do to train him how to stand firm. And then our theme verse for the series, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read it together. We've been breaking it down week by week, but we're going to recap it all together this morning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? Come on, his might. We need God's strength. Listen, our strength is not enough. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. We need the Holy Spirit's power. Can I get an amen? amen? And then he says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, notice this, against flesh and blood. In other words, the enemy is not people. We're not battling against people. Sometimes it feels like that because the unseen world is influencing people. But we have one spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. He's already been defeated. Can I get an amen? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, there it is again, take up the whole armor, come on, say whole armor, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, now he begins to unpack the armor. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Pastor Doug did a fantastic job unpacking gospel shoes and the shield of faith last week. And then take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're going to focus on those two things today. We're going to focus on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Now, Paul, this is during one of his imprisonments, and he writes the book of Ephesians. And you can imagine Paul is surrounded by Roman soldiers, and he notices that they have six pieces of armor, and he watches them every day, put them on and take them off. And through the Holy Spirit's leading God begins to connect these physical pieces of armor and gives them spiritual meaning. And that's what Paul is doing for us. And Paul details them in the order that a Roman soldier would put them on. I need a better amen up in here. And so week one, as we began to unpack this idea of this um, armor of God that we must put on every day, there were four principles. I just want to recap them with you because they're going to help us for where we go today. Here's the first thing we said, that we can't use God's armor without God's strength. We, we have to have God's Holy Spirit power. We cannot do this in our own strength. The second thing that we said was that without God's armor, we are unfit for this battle. Paul would not say, put on the whole armor of God. In fact, he says it twice. 
if we didn't need to have the armor on. What's implied in the text is that I don't have God's armor on. Guess what? I can become a casualty in a battle that Jesus Christ has already won. We've got to get the armor on. Point three was the battlefield for spiritual warfare is in the mind. This is where it's happening. I know sometimes we get this idea that it's like somewhere way out there. No, no, no. Somewhere way out there is actually impacting our thoughts. It's the lies of the enemies. It's the accusations. It's the, the wrestling, the thoughts of defeat and discouragement. It's, it's in our mind. And then the fourth thing we said is that using God's armor simply means this, to think biblically. And that's what this series is really to do, to help us, to train us. How do I think according to the word of God? Not simply about warfare, but how can I be trained in the things of God so that I can stand strong in this warfare? Because Jesus has already won the battle. And if you're with me, come on and give Jesus some praise this morning. So I'm going to talk about the last two pieces of armor. We're going to look at the helmet of salvation and then the sword of the spirit. If you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, come on, get your pen, train your fingers. Here we go. The helmet guards our minds. It, it guards our minds. Listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need something to guard your mind. We're going to read it all again in verse 14 through 17. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up, the fifth thing is take up the helmet of salvation. Say those three words with me, helmet of salvation. One more time, helmet of salvation. See, in the natural, the, ha the helmet was not a fashion statement, but it was incredibly strong. It was made of bronze or brass, and it would have reinforced metal rings to protect your cheeks, and then a simple leather strap to put it in place. It was far from glamorous, but pay attention. It was necessary protection from the enemy's kill shots. You and I need necessary protection from the enemy's kill shots. I need a better amen. So if you put that helmet on, well, what is it guarding? It's guarding your head. It's guarding your head so that it can protect something. It can protect your brain. Because if your brain goes, so does your effectiveness. And the enemy knows this so much that this is why the battle is in the mind. I love what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Interesting language. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. The word preparing means this. Be proactive. Every moment of every day, you and I will have one of two responses. You ready for it? We will be proactive or reactive. And here's what Paul is saying, that when you're in the battle, that's not the time to figure out how to win the war. You need to be proactive and prepare your mind to stand in the victory of Christ. And then he uses these words, sober-minded. Well, why, why would he say that? Here's why. Because we can be under the influence of a lot of things. 
Not just alcohol, not just drugs. Y'all, we can be under the influence of lies. We can be under the influence of fear. We can be under the influence of worry. We can be under the influence of defeat and discouragement. We can be under the influence of thinking, man, God's not going to provide for us. We got to be sober-minded, which means this, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead what I'm thinking about. I want you to write this down. We said it week one, but I want you to write it down this time. We must learn to think about what we think about. That's what Peter's saying. You need to learn. It's one thing to think about what you're thinking about. It's another thing to learn how. You need to learn how to think about. There needs to be a gatekeeper of your mind. The things that you allow in. The things that you entertain. The things that you come into agreement with. You need to learn to think about what you think about. Look at Romans chapter 5, 5 and 6. By the way, Paul is actually teaching believers here. This is not unbelievers. These are believers, followers of Jesus Christ. For those who live according to the flesh. Who's he talking about? People there who don't know Jesus. Those people who have not come to a place, Jesus, I understand my sin, therefore I understand my need for a Savior. Come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. It's somebody that has not come into agreement about who Jesus is. What do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those that live according to the Spirit, what does that mean? Those who have the Holy Spirit. Those who called upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It was that moment you heard the gospel and you said, God, be Lord and Savior of my life. Boom, the Holy Spirit came into you. And so the Bible says that the person who's living in the Spirit, notice what they're going to do. They're going to set their minds. Think of concrete. I'm going to set it so it becomes firm on the things of the Spirit. For those who set their mind on the things of the flesh, what? is death, but those that set their mind on the Spirit gives life and peace. How many need life? How many need peace? How many you know you need peace just to go to Walmart? Come on, somebody. That you got to predetermine. You, you, you have to think about, what am I allowing myself to think about? What am I entertaining? What am I coming into agreement with? What agreements am I making in my mind? Am I believing lies or am I believing truth? I wonder how many fashion trends would have never seen the light of day had people actually used their brain. Come on, somebody. I was just thinking about some of them. Like, here's the first one. Like, what are they thinking? Grills. Come on. Come on, somebody. That's colorful right there. Put your sunglasses on. Here's the second one. Y'all. I entitled this the hula hoop purse. I don't even know, how would you even get into a car? You go to lunch, where are you putting that? That is the most impractical purse I've ever seen in my life. Okay, what about this next one? I just entitled this, why? <laughs> These two things don't go together. You got wool socks and flip flops, pick a lane. Come on somebody. What about this next one? Y'all, plastic patches, if you show up at church, I'm sending you home. That's just creepy. Come on, somebody. 
Never. Y'all know the rat tail. This guy took it to a whole new level. Let me just shave a rat on my head. Come on, somebody. What about this next one? The dicky. Come on. How many of you know? Just slide it under the sweater. Come on, Cousin Eddie, the dicky. The best part is you can see it in his white sweater. He didn't think that. Next one is dad vibes. Come on. Men, let me school you for a second. This never was, nor will it ever be cool. Come on, somebody. If you do it, stop doing it. Here's the last one I just can't believe ever made a light of day. 49ers jersey. Come on. What in the world are they? What are they? You're welcome. Come on, somebody. So three principles. Here we go. Number one, write it down. To live biblically, we must think biblically. A lot of us are like this. We're not happy with our choices. God, I wish I made different choices. God goes, if I can change your thinking, then I can change your behavior. Why? Because your hate behavior will always follow your thinking. Look at what Jesus prayed in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. The word sanctify means to cleanse, to consecrate. So how do you get different behavior? You get it by allowing the word of God to change the way you think, which brings us to number two. God's word transforms us to think biblically. Let, let me just say it a different way. A lot of you are so spiritually malnourished. You look at your behavior and you hate it. You think about your thought life and you hate it and you go, man, I know that is not key in keeping with what honors God, but I don't know how to change it. Listen, if you don't allow the word of God to wash your mind, you will never think biblically. It is the job of the word of God. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I've shared this verse with you, but it is so powerful. I felt led to share it again. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and pleasing. Here's what Paul is saying. Every moment of every day, check it out, you and I are either gonna conform or we're gonna be transformed. Every moment of every day, I'm either gonna conform or be transformed. See, to be conformed, it's all an outside work. It's being shaped differently by culture. So what does it really mean to be conformed? It simply means this, to do what culture does. A lot of us are trying to follow Jesus. Pay attention. We're trying to follow Jesus, but we're doing what culture does. Paul says you cannot do that. Don't conform to culture. Don't do what culture does, but instead be transformed. Transformation is an inside-out work. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in cooperation with him according to what God's word says in our lives. And guess what? If the Holy Spirit begins to change us from the inside, then what comes out of us, come on somebody, our behavior gets changed. Well, what does it mean to be transformed? Not do what culture does, but do what God says. Do what God says. Every moment of every day. I, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 and 16. He says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They're foolishness to him. Who are they talking about? He's talking about right here, non-believers. Okay, segue. Stop trying to change 
your non-Christian friends. You can't. Only the Holy Spirit can. They need the Holy Spirit. You need to pray that they have a life-changing encounter with the Holy Spirit because if they get encountered by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will change them from the inside out. I need a better amen. amen. You can preach to them all you want. It's folly. It's like foolishness to them. For he is not able to understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. We need the Holy Spirit. Now jump down to verse 16. I got some good news. But for you and me who are in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. If I could pick one verse to describe to you the helmet of salvation, it would be this. We have the mind of Christ. Come on, say have. Let me tell you why that's an important word in the Greek. Because it's telling you and me what we have access to. We have access to think biblically. We have access to wisdom. Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, we have access to biblical understanding. We have access to live a life of certainty in the things of God and not wandering aimlessly like we're not sure how to follow Jesus. We have access to it. Pay attention. But you can have access to a shirt and never put it on. You can have access to food in your fridge and never cook it. We have access to the mind of Christ, but if we don't intentionally put the helmet of salvation on, we'll never step beyond the threshold of access and begin to live in the discernment of Christ. Number three, thinking like Christ it does two things. It protects and it secures us. Come on, you, your mind needs protection, but your mind also needs security. I love Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep in him, or sorry, you keep him in perfect peace. Come on, how many need peace? How many need perfect peace? Yes, yes. I need perfect peace. Who, who gets this perfect peace? Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. God says, if you think about what you're thinking about, if you intentionally focus on my truth, if you take time to allow your mind to be renewed, transformed by what my word says, instead of looking at what culture does, come on, I'm preaching way better than you're saying, then I'm going to have this perfect peace, but pay attention. What good is it to have protection from the lies of the enemy, but not security in the truth? If I put the helmet on, it's not just giving me protection from the enemy's lies. It's to give me security with what's true. Okay. Paul did not call it the helmet of something else. He called it the helmet of salvation. Pay attention. How many times have we doubted our salvation? How many times has there been an altar call and you had this thought, maybe I should go again because maybe the last time didn't take? How many times have you sinned and thought, oh, did I lose my salvation? Now listen to me, the helmet 
does not just bring protection from the lies of the enemy. The helmet brings security in what is true about who you were recreated to be through Christ. I want to I I show you this. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. Whoever has the Son has life. If you got Jesus, you're saved. Come on, somebody. You're saved. Whoever does not have the Son is not saved. Now look at where John goes. He's going to tell me and tell you why he wrote this. I write these things to you who believe, come on, you have placed faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Notice this, that you may know that you have eternal life. You are secured in what the truth is, that if you've got Jesus, you've got salvation. I need a better amen. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. It guards our minds. But in the guarding, we get peace and we get security. But we got to put it on. Here's the sixth one. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the sword. Here's what it does. It empowers our mind. So the first point is it guards our mind. This is all about empowering our mind. It is the sword of the spirit, which is the what? The word of God. Y'all, I got a sword. That's why I'm ready to preach. Come on, somebody. I so badly just want to chop a watermelon. Come on. How much would you love that? I just gladiatored this thing. Come on, somebody. Did anybody bring a watermelon? A cantaloupe will do. Come on. Bring a cantaloupe. Maybe an apple. I don't know how good my accuracy is. I think sometimes when we hear about the sword and the spirit, this is kind of what we have in mind. But the sword that a Roman soldier would use was actually pretty small. And there was a reason that it was small. Because it was small, it was easy to maneuver. It's easy to use. You're going to start seeing the spiritual picture. It's also got blades on both sides. So regardless of what side the sword made contact with an enemy, it would do damage. So it is effective at all times. It is small enough that it's easy to maneuver. This was the physical picture of a Roman soldier's sword. But now let me go to Hebrews and show you the spiritual picture in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give account. This passage tells us so much, not just about what the Word of God is, but what the Word of God does. And so here's what I want to do. I want to actually do a text study with this passage with you. 
I'm going to give you a glimpse of how I study the Bible. So if you've been wondering, like, man, I want to learn how to study the Bible, I'm going to show you how easy it is and how to look for key words and then to unpack their meaning with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at this verse and look at the underlying parts. It is alive and active. Say alive and active. Here's what that means. It is physical words on a page, but it has supernatural power. This is not just a book. It should not be approached like any other book. This is the sacred, holy word of God. It is set apart in all its ways. These are not dead words. They are alive words, and they are active, which means that they have the ability to initiate supernatural transformation in our lives if we will allow them. Can I get an amen? So, so it's double-edged. What does that mean? It doesn't matter which way I hear a sermon. It doesn't matter which way I come into contact. There is a blade that's going to hit me. It will be effective in all of its ways. The Bible says that the word of God is not just living and active, but God promises that his word will never return void. It will accomplish what he sets it out to accomplish. Can I get an amen? Luke chapter 1, verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. It is always effective. The second thing, the third thing we see is it penetrates. So the first couple points is all about here's what it is. Now the author of Hebrews wants us to understand what it does. It penetrates. Well, what is the purpose of penetration? Here it is, to go beneath the surface. The Word of God is designed to go beneath the surface. Here's the obvious question. Why? Why does it need to go beneath the surface? Well, he uses a bunch of descriptive words, doesn't he? Soul and spirit, joint and marrow. What what is a joint? A joint is bone. A joint is visible. What is marrow? Marrow is on the inside of the bone. The human eye cannot see it. The only way that you can see, pay attention... The only way that you can see marrow is through an x-ray. Let me tell you what the word of God does. The word of God is like an x-ray. The word of God reveals what is in you that your eyes otherwise could not see. It reveals sin in you, brokenness in you, blind spots in you. In other words, when you read the Bible, because it's living and active, it reads you. It shows what's in you that isn't of God so that it can address those things. That's why when you're hearing a message, the conviction of God comes. What is the conviction of God? It's the Holy Spirit convincing you of what is true and what is false, what is sin and what is error. Why would he do that? Because he loves us. Because the word of God penetrates to reveal things to us that we could be blind to. The word of God can show me, hey, Sean, you're not loving your wife like Christ loves the church. You're not raising your kids in truth. Hey, your attitude is jacked up. Come on, somebody. Listen, it will reveal things in us if we're willing to heed it. How many of you believe this is a powerful weapon? Let me ask again. How many believe this is a really powerful weapon? How many believe it's awesome? How many believe that if we have it, man, we can do damage? Okay, here it is. 
What good is it to have the best weapon if you don't know how to use it? What good would it be to have the best sword and run out to battle and not know how to use the sword? See, this is what I love about our Heavenly Father. Our Father does not send us out without training us. He says, I want to train you so that you know how to use the Word of God. Look where Paul goes now in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. Pay attention because I'm going to actually show you, I'm going to teach you in a practical way how to use God's Word as a sword. For though we walk in the flesh, we have earthly bodies, is what Paul is saying. You know, you've got an earthly suit, I've got an earthly suit. We are not waging war according to the flesh. We don't fight like the world does. Can I get an amen? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power. Say divine power. To destroy strongholds, and we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God to take every thought captive to obey Christ, to which you may go, man, that's a mouthful. And this is where I want to pivot in the message. And I'm taking the teacher hat off, and I'm putting the shepherd hat on. I'm putting the pastor hat on. I love you. And I want to give you permission to get honest with God from stopping with the pretending that you feel like I need to project myself like I'm further along spiritually than I really am. Because the enemy will do that. You might go, well, I grew up in church. I've been 30 years in. Like, I I should know more. Listen, I'm giving you permission today just to get honest with God. You are where you are. When I went to Bible college, I was brand new to following Jesus. I knew nothing about God's word. I was so intimidated. So I'm like, man, all these people, all these kids I'm going to go to school with, they know, they grew up in church, they know all this stuff. I don't know it. And the Lord told me, just be humble and be hungry. I'll take care of the rest. Just be humble and just be hungry. What would it look like if you stopped with the stained glass window approach to Christianity and you just got real and you got humble and you got honest and you said, you know what? I'm really not as far as long as I'm trying to make people think I am. And it's okay. We all have to start somewhere. God can only transform who you are, not who you pretend to be. Some of you are missing out on some of the great things that God wants to do in your life because you've allowed the enemy to convince you that you can't be honest about really where you're at. And God's going give you permission. I give you permission. So I'm going to break down this passage. I'm going to show you how to use it, and then we're going to be done. Weapons of warfare. Notice he says that. The weapons of your warfare. 
The Bible is a threat to the enemy, y'all. No, 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 no. No, no, I, I need you to preach back now and stir your faith. The Bible is a threat to the enemy, amen? It, it has divine power. It's not just an amazing weapon. When you use the weapon, it carries the very power of God. It's not just that it's powerful. When you use it, all the authority of heaven comes behind it. Strongholds. We destroy strongholds. The word destroy there means this, to grab a hold of and violently throw down. What, what am I grabbing a hold of? The lies. Anything that I believe that's not true and I violently throw it down. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a lie that I come into agreement with and as a result, I give the enemy a foothold on my life. I have the authority in Christ Jesus to take every agreement, every stronghold, and violently in the name of Jesus Throw it down and make it obedient to Christ. What does it mean to make it obedient to Christ? Who is Christ? Who is Christ? The Word and the Word is Christ. So what am I doing? I'm taking the lies of the enemy that I'm believing and I'm violently throwing it down and I'm submitting it under the authority of God's Word. Charles Spurgeon says this, when the devil opens his mouth in slander, it gives me an opportunity to ram the sword of truth down his throat. So two key principles, and then I'm going to show you how to do this. This is not just biblical. This is scientifically proven. This is how God has created your brain. Write it down. To remove a lie, it must be replaced with truth. You cannot just remove a thought. In order for you to remove a thought from your thinking piggy bank, you have to replace that thought with another thought. That's how our brains work. In the spiritual, what do we do? We take the lies that we've given real estate in our minds. And the only way I can get the lie out is if I replace it with what's true. So if that, in fact, is how God has created us, then write down the second thing. To use God's word as a weapon, we must know it. This is why so many Christians are discouraged, why so many Christians stay stuck, why so many Christians just want to give up and not really follow Jesus. Here's why. Because you got a sword in your hand, but you don't know what the word of God promises you. If you don't know what it promises you, you're going to be ineffective at using it against the enemy. Are you ready to learn how to do this? Some of you, listen, some of you, you know this. Can I ask you to bring affirmation for the sake of people that might be discovering this for the very first time, that need truth that can set captives free in Jesus' name? So let me just show you how simple this is. Number one, fear. So fear represents a lie. We all struggle with fear. fear. Fear comes all the time. And here's what happens. This is what Satan says when fear comes. You need to fear and stop trusting God. That is the basis for fear. You have a reason to be afraid, and you really can't trust God. That's the lie. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 is the truth. The Bible says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So that when Satan tries to come against you with the lie of fear, with the spirit of fear, you need to replace that lie with the truth of God's word and say, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Here's the second one, it's shame. Come on, we've all dealt with that. Well, what does shame say? Your past will always define you. Pay attention. That abortion will always define you. That divorce will always define you. That thing you said will always define you. That thing that you're addicted to will always define you. No, no, no. That's a lie. Here's the truth. Romans 8, chapter 1. Here's what it says. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I'm in Christ, there is no condemning work. There is no shame. There is no guilt. I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I kick out the lie and I replace it with the truth. Here's the next one, worry. Come on, we all worry. What does worry say? God isn't going to provide for you. That's the basis of worry. Yeah, God came through at one point. He's not going to keep coming through. That is the lie of worry. But 1 Peter chapter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties or worry on him because he cares for you. To cast means to throw. It means to chuck, to separate it from you and wherever it lands, as much as you possibly can. What good is it to cast your cares if you don't believe that he cares for you, but when you believe that he cares for you, you can give him all things knowing it's in his hands anyway. He is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide. Come on, what about defeat? We all believe this. Satan says you're defeated, just give up. You know what this always comes on the other side of? A great victory. Man, you go to church, you get wound up, and then Monday happens. Just give up. Galatians 9 or 6 9 is the truth. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season, not my season, God's season. Not my time, God's time. We will reap. It's not a probability, it's not a possibility. If we do not give up. Or what about bondage? Come on, how often do we believe this lie? You'll never be free. That's the lie. You'll always be in bondage to it. Hey, stop fighting it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For freedom, Christ. No, read it. Say, has past tense. You're already free in Christ. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. To submit again means you've been freed already from that yoke. You're already free. Now you just got to learn how to walk in the freedom. Isaiah 59, 19 says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, because church, he will. What is our job? To stand firm. Do you know what a flood does? Tries to take you off your feet. Have you ever stood in rushing water? It ain't easy. In our strength, we can't. So here comes the promise. The Spirit of the Lord 
will lift up a standard against him. Listen, when the enemy comes in with his lies, the Holy Spirit raises a standard. What is the standard? The standard is the word of God. You want to know why he lifts up the word of God? Because the word of God gets the final word. Hey, Satan, you can't breach these walls. Satan, you can't have my marriage. Satan, you can't have my family. You can't have my kids. There's a greater word than any lie that he's going to form against you. So he ends with this thought in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is how he ends the armor of God. And here's what I want to say about that, that when you're using this, you also need to be using prayer. In fact, you'll never effectively use this without prayer, and you'll never effectively use prayer without this. I want you to write this down. God's word and prayer were together. They were together. They're this. A lot of you, you struggle to pray because you're not in the word. Some of you, you pray a lot, but you're not in the word, and so your, your prayer doesn't have power. Write down the second thing. We are to pray what God's word promises. When you don't know what to pray, and it feels like all hell just hit the fan. Everything's out of control. And the lies of the enemy and the flaming darts of the enemy, they're just flinging. Listen to me. You have a stronger weapon than anything that the enemy could form against you. You can pray what the word of God promises. And the Bible says this. Pay attention. The word of God never returns void. Okay. Here's what's crazy. The word of God doesn't mean the written word. It means this, when you speak what's written. When you speak what's written, it will not return void. It will always accomplish what God set it out to accomplish. So if these are true, here's the last one. Write it down. We can only claim the promises we know. Come on, listen to me. You can't swing a sword that's not in your hand, and you can't claim scripture that's not in your heart. You need to know the word of God. Get that helmet of salvation securely fastened on your head. And get that sword ready for battle because you're going to need it every moment of every day. All right, full circle, here I go. Pastor hat back on. I asked you to be vulnerable. I'm asking every single person that's sitting here and every person online, you can write it in the chat, every person that's sitting here, I'm asking you to grab your connect card right now. Every person, please, don't let this moment pass you by. And I'm giving you permission to be honest with God. Maybe you're in a place, and here's the truth, you don't know how to pray. You don't know how to study the word. Maybe you're like, I'm that guy that, or that girl that's been pretending I'm further along than I really am. But you know what? Something shifted in my heart today. And I just want to get honest. I don't know how to do this. But God, I want to know. Whatever your step is today, I'm asking you to write it down. Even if you're a mature believer in Christ, what's the step the Holy Spirit's asking you to take? But if you're there and you would say, man, I'm that young person in Christ. I may have been in church for 30 years or three days, 
I just don't know how to grow. I want you to know, we won't just pray for every single one of those requests. We won't just pray. Our staff will follow up with you. We're here to help you. Listen, if we're not here to live out our mission statement to help people truly know God and experience freedom, discover purpose, and live on mission, then what are we even doing? Can we just get real? We have the next generation to consider church. We cannot have a whole generation go by without being discipled in the deep things of God. We can't play church. I don't know about you. Who needs the Lord? I need the Lord. Come on. Who, who's just tired of playing it safe? Like, I'm all in. I, I, I'm truly all in. Jesus, take it all. Come on, take it all. And the next time the enemy comes against me, I'm going to take the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to ram it down his throat in Jesus' name by the power of his blood. Amen. Come on, jump to your feet. I want to end with worthy of it all. I want to end with worthy of it all. Come on, is he worthy, church? Is he worthy? Close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us. If your hands have been made holy by the blood of Jesus, will you just lift your hands to him? And if the Holy Spirit stirred your heart and you've come out of agreement with some lies today and you've replaced them with the truth and he's given you a clear next step, just right now, say, God, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. I choose to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I pray the excuses away. There is no reason valid to keep us from you. I humble myself. I acknowledge that you're worthy. You're not just worthy to save me. You're worthy to grow me. You're worthy to make me into the image of Christ. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name.